Hello, this is Bad Vibes. Today's stories are all written by Shytown12076 from Reddit. I really enjoy their stories, so make sure you check them out if you enjoy them as well. Their Reddit link will be in the description. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm extremely worried about my mother. This year has been a turbulent one for my family, and I think her fragile psyche might just break. It began after my brother took his life. Initially, my mother, father, and I came together, and the family was stronger than ever. But as so often happens, time went on, life got busy, and the divide ensued. My mother craved constant emotional support, but it became overwhelming. My father was always tired from work. He was still grieving internally at the loss of his son, and my mom's daily breakdowns became too much to handle. Mom began cutting herself and threatening her own suicide as a last-ditch effort to win my father's love and affection, but it was futile. With the signing of a few papers, a 20-year marriage evaporated. Mom went into a complete tailspin post-divorce. She stopped cooking, stopped cleaning, she stopped bathing, and she stopped talking. We lived in a house of silence until the nighttime came, when I could hear howls of heartbreak echo through the home. I loved my mom, but I knew it wasn't healthy for me to stay in this situation. The morning after another sleepless night, I told her I wanted to go live with my dad, at least until she pulled herself together. For the first time in weeks, she spoke, but it was the same she had used on my father. She told me if I leave, she'll have nothing to live for and kill herself. I told her she had stopped living a while ago. She's simply surviving at this point. I told her she needed some help and when I got home from school we could talk about it. When I arrived home an eerie feeling crept over me. The house was pitch black and my mom was nowhere in sight. I investigated the downstairs and found nothing. I checked her bedroom upstairs as well as the bathroom but they were clear. I walked down the hallway to my room and saw a dimly lit candle on the dresser. It was illuminating a note. I began reading and a chill ran up my spine just after the first few words. This wasn't a note, it was a suicide letter. My chest was pounding and I began to sweat. With each cryptic line, my heart sank deeper and tears flooded my eyes until I reached the bottom of the letter. When I reached the final two words, I became frozen in fear and the letter slipped from my grip. The final two words were simply a first and last name my name. Suddenly, I felt a cold breeze on my door slamming behind me. The candle went out and the room went dark. My mom passed away when I was just a few months old. She was a nature enthusiast who lived for hiking, but consequently, it would be the death of her as well. Her body was found at the bottom of a mountainside that she frequented. The impact of the fall was so severe that my family had to have a closed casket funeral. I only know my mom through stories that my dad tells me and the many videotapes she recorded before her passing. My mother loved to document her hikes. She would give tips, record the beautiful scenery, and in some videos just discuss life. I watched hundreds of these videos and it's the only real connection I feel to her. My mom was the breadwinner and since her passing, the family had been financially strapped. 
my father had taken on two jobs to make ends meet, but it's to the point where we'll have to downsize and move. Oddly enough, I think our neighbor Ralph is taking it harder than me and my dad. Ralph has been like a second father to me, always there to talk to, always buying me things I need and offering help whenever he can. My dad said he's a creep, but I think he's a good guy and I'll miss him. As I was packing up my things from the shed, I saw something strange. A floorboard was missing that I hadn't noticed before, and there was a filthy trash bag with a couple videos and a camcorder inside. My curiosity peaked, and I decided to go to my room and watch. I popped the first tape in and couldn't believe my eyes. It was my mom with Ralph. They were naked in a room. Jesus Christ, it was a sex tape. I removed the tape before my eyes were burned out of the sockets. I put the second tape in and saw my mom crying into the camera. She said that she was pregnant and Ralph was the father. I cried and screamed into my pillow with anger and despair. I felt bad for myself. I felt bad for my father. I was furious with Ralph, but did he even know? Did Dad? Then I noticed the tape remained in the camcorder. It was my mom on one of the hikes. Wait, I recognize those clothes. Those were the clothes that she died in. This was recorded the day of her death. As I watched, my mother reached the mountainside where she had fell to her death. I was about to eject the tape, but then I heard something. It was the voice of a man, and my mom seemed startled when they spoke. Then it happened. The camera captured the last moment when a man's hand pushes my mother to her death. What are you watching there? I heard coming from the window. The same voice that I heard in the video. An eerie silence filled the air as my dad and I locked eyes. I haven't seen a clock or the outside for a while, so I can't be certain, but I believe it's day 17 of my forced incarceration. Constant screams and demonic laughter echo through the hallways of this hellhole. The shock therapy torture has increased each day, and they've even begun experimenting with lobotomy surgery with horrific results. Asylum patients are seen as subhuman to many. Once dropped off here, it's like entering a portal to another world. Families don't visit, and the state leaves full control of the facilities to the doctors, nurses, and guards. That means, as this torture is ratcheted up, no one from the outside world is coming to stop it. Nobody knows or even cares what's happening behind these walls. Food rations have been put in place for the sheer purpose of inflicting suffering. They force medication into us, oftentimes on empty stomach, which creates awful nausea and discomfort. They prance around the facility in matching white uniforms, bestowing the phony title of doctors and nurses upon themselves. But in reality, they're just an organized mob. I've been observing the behavior at night, and what I've seen is bone chilling. Increasingly, people have been forcefully removed from their rooms and not returned. In the last few days, I've been marched into the cafeteria. I've been overwhelmed with a pungent odor. I tell myself I'm crazy, and it can't be what I think it is. My mind races with inhuman thoughts, but I'm starving. So I eat the chunky meat soup as served, and don't dare to question what it is. I've only remained alive due to my obedience. The beating has become increasingly violent and they've begun raiding rooms without notice for contraband. Paranoia has set in and they believe that we're planning a revolt. 
Discovery of the snow is a certain death sentence, so I must hide it away now. I pray order can be restored, but if not, I leave this as evidence of the horrible conditions and the atrocities that have been committed under this roof. God save us all. Dr. Williams. Day 17 of inmates running the asylum. My daughter begged for a puppy, and I finally caved. After work, I'll take her over to the local puppy shop, run by Old Earl. Earl had been running the establishment for close to three decades now, and had become somewhat of an unofficial mayor of our small town. The service was friendly, he was very reasonable with pricing, and the dogs always seemed to have a full lifespan. My shift ran late, and I scrambled to reach the shop with my daughter as Earl was closing. I even managed to dang his sign while parking in the rush to get there. He was kind enough to let us in as we made small talk while he gave my daughter a few treats and told her to pick the lucky pup. As my daughter gleefully ran around the shop, I took old Earl out to inspect the sign damage. He laughed it off and said that he'll call it even with the purchase of a pup. When we walked back inside, my daughter was missing. It was a small shop and I began to think she wandered outside to find us at some point. I tried to keep calm, but Earl filled me with concern when he told me he would need to check the basement because the drugs used for euthanasia are stored down there. After a thorough check, Earl said she wasn't down there and I was filled with some relief. Moments later, my daughter wandered back inside through the entrance door. I pulled her close to me and told her to never scare me like that again. She looked upset and when I asked her what puppy she had chosen, she told me she just wanted to go home. I apologized to Earl for the inconvenience, told him she must be frazzled from my panic of her missing and we would be back tomorrow. As we drove home, I asked my daughter why she wandered off and why she couldn't choose a puppy. Tears filled her eyes and she told me that she had run out of dog treats and looked around the shop for more. That's when she walked down to the basement area and became upset. She told me it wasn't fair that all the dogs upstairs would find a home and the kids locked in the basement wouldn't. I laid poolside perfecting my tan for the start of school next month. Mom was in the kitchen cooking her famous fettuccine alfredo and dad was on his way home with a movie from Redbox. My life was perfect but everything was about to change with the arrival of a new neighbor next door. He was a former police officer, probably mid-fifties, possessed a firm drill sergeant-like tone, but was very friendly and talkative. Initially, he seemed like a good fit for the neighborhood. He was cordial and always made an effort to wave or say hi, and the presence of someone with law enforcement background provided a sense of security. But things began to unravel quickly and the catalyst seemed to be me. My neighbor took a sudden and keen interest in me. When I went outside, I could feel his eyes examining me. He would always wander over and try to start conversations, but as soon as he heard or saw my parents, he would leave. He asked me if I had any social media accounts. When I lied and said no, he asked if he could take a picture of me and proceeded to snap a pic before I could reply. I felt completely unnerved and frightened about his intentions for me. For all I knew, he could have been a murderer or a pedophile living mere feet from my home. 
I knew I needed to delve deeper, so one night, I aimed my telescope at his window, and what I saw only amplified the alarm bells going off in my head. This man was fixated on the picture of me on his phone, and I could even see a small stack of photos on his nightstand, a young girl's image on top. My blood ran cold at this, but confirmed my fear. He must be a pedophile. The next day I saw him sneakily rummaging through our trash can. I watched in horror and disbelief as he removed a used tampon, got into his car and sped off in the night. That was the final straw. I knew that morning that I would have to alert my parents and get in contact with the police. I awoke to the sound of police sirens and loud commotion downstairs. I hopped out of bed and saw my parents being taken away in handcuffs. I started screaming and crying as I rushed towards the doors, but I was stopped by the neighbor. With a horrified expression, he muttered, I'm so sorry. Those aren't your real parents. You were kidnapped and missing for the past 14 years. DNA tests confirmed it. 